Hi guys, I'm Maria Chichok and you have no challenges remaining. No challenges remaining on day 13 of the French Open 2021. I'm Ben Rothenberg. So original, I got to say, our, our first hopes for a guest tonight came from an enthusiastic viewer who I assume is somewhere in Southern California at the moment watching this match. Unfortunately, sadly for me, Cher did not return any of my tweets asking her to come on the show as she watched her beloved Rafael Nadal and confounded her, her legions of followers by saying, who, who is who is this? What is this, Rafa? Is this a new album of yours? Like, no, but we do have, I want to say something close enough to share in, in many ways. Andrew Eccles of The Spin. The share of tennis Twitter, some might say. When you talk about share on Twitter, it kind of implies incoherence. Or not incoherence, that's, that's a little harsh. It kind of implies a lack of, it's not very articulate, let's put it that way. So I think, I think that you bring maybe more polish and poise, but... You know, I think yeah. that you also would look you know, great in wigs. I do. So, yeah. So I there do. You go. I don't. I don't have my own hair, so I've had to practice. But yes, no. Thank you for noting my um, famous poise. I appreciate that, and it's an <laughs> honor to be. Um, it's an honor to be shares understudy for the first time, and not the last. Believe me, not, not the, the last. last. <laughs> so, as Cher and many others were saying, this was a special match. It brought lots of people out of the woodwork. Maria Sharapova out here live-tweeting tennis matches. These things don't happen very much. Lots of lots of stuff people gathered around for this big match, which was, I guess, highly anticipated. It was, but also, I think, really exceeded expectations, at least my own expectations, for what this match for would sure. be. With Novak Djokovic, especially from how it started, Novak Djokovic starting down Love 5 in the first set and coming back to beat Rafael Nadal in 4 as my possible headline said, do you believe in life after five love? Cher shocked as Djokovic proved strong enough to turn back Nadal. In four, and handing Nadal only his third ever loss at the French Open. He's now 105-3 and three in his win-loss record. He had not lost to anybody at the French Open since Djokovic in 2015. He comes in to this match, I think, I, I felt like feeling just about as secure as ever. I mean, I didn't really see... Any reason? I mean, he hadn't been amazing in the match against Schwartzman for parts of it when Schwartzman was making it competitive in the middle of that match, Andrew. Mm-hmm. But I guess what what was your sort of journey with this match in terms of whether or not it'd be interesting? And I'll throw in one more thing before I keep over talking. Is that like last year's final? I was way more excited for actually the 2020 French Open final. I had my hopes up for because Djokovic had been so good in 2020. He had not lost a real match except for the default of the U.S. Open. He'd been so good. I really thought he had a shot in that match, and he kind of flopped. I mean, that match was not close at all. And then today, he 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 did it. What, what did you make of, of this whole match? So honestly, I was expecting, I mean, I was expecting Djokovic to take like one or two sets. But, I mean, not just because he's Djokovic, but because Nadal had had some kind of like mental dips mm. in a few matches, like building up to this. Like, so I was expecting Nadal to have one of those moments again, until he went up five love and then I was like oh no okay he's he's gotten all the mental dips out of the way and he's come here today ready and I actually think probably that first set was as important as anything else that happened like yeah Djokovic getting those three games in that first set I think actually ended up setting the tone for the rest of his match um, because it really just 
brought him back in. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I was expecting Nadal to have some dips, but I, I was not expecting Djokovic in four. No, and, and you mentioned the dips. Yeah, so Nadal comes out firing really fast, like a lot like last year's final, which was also, you know, five love start or more at the beginning. And yeah, and, Djok- and Djokovic found a foothold. And I think at some point there won, I think, seven out of 10 games. He got up, I guess, 4-2 in the in the second, maybe 5-2 eventually. And he was he was in there battling. And, and I think that really did stop the bleeding in a meaningful way and give him some confidence. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reasons, he was feeling more confident than he was last year. Again, again, just last year's French Open, because it was so recent, less than a year ago, really did feel sort of instructive to me going into this match. And then I guess I started to, in our former guest Hope's words, you know, believe as it as it kept going that the Djokovic was there, then Nadal's confidence seemed a little bit shaken. Nadal, I think for the second slam in a row, didn't seem to have quite at all times the physical, um, you know, Nadal level amazingness. Like I think he was looking a little bit more gassed out there, and, and especially as the match went on, he started having ankle issues or something. And it was something I saw for the first time ever in his career uh, in the match against Tsitsipas that he lost at the Australian Open, where it actually looked like down the stretch of that fifth set that Tsitsipas was the markedly fitter, you know, player with better endurance when it came down to it. And that has all of a sudden been a given for Nadal, you know, in his career, he's always been the fitter guy. And, and maybe that's no longer the case as he enters, you know, as he rounds into his mid thirties at 35. So it shouldn't be surprising on a lot of ways. Like this match on paper with how many times Djokovic has beaten it all, beaten before at the French Open, but, you know, I, but even still, like, I'm just so trained to have Nadal matches at the French Open not only not be losses, but not even really be meaningfully interesting most of the time. Like, that's what I was excited about as this as the second set wound down and starts like going. Like, we actually have an in- legitimately competitively interesting, tense match that feels up for grabs with Nadal at the French Open. And that is a rare treat because he's so automatic you can take that for granted, but he's usually just so untouchable. And today he was getting increasingly touched. And the other thing is that, you know, Novak Djokovic did not come into this match looking his best no. <laughs> during this tournament. No. You know, like he's dropped, you know, he'd already dropped um, a set to Berrettini. He dropped a couple of sets to Massetti before the insane <laughs> turnaround in the last three sets. So he wasn't looking peak Novak. And he certainly wasn't looking peak Novak at the beginning of this match. By the end, he was pretty much there, right? Like by the end of this match, he was looking really, really great. So, I mean, I think that was the other part of the surprise of this. Like, sure, Nadal had had some dips during this tournament, but actually Djokovic had potentially had bigger dips. Um, So I think that's why it was so unexpected. And that third set in particular was was really something to watch. I mean, it was a really amazing set of tennis. Yeah. Came so close to being Nadal's set of tennis. Um, yeah. At the beginning of the tie break, Djokovic looked a little bit rusty, but then like fixed it pretty quickly. So, and then once that happened, I mean, <laughs> Nadal was looking tired, honestly. So yeah. it, it was, it was, it's hard to believe that Nadal's ever going to lose a match at Roland Garros because Nadal doesn't lose a match at Roland Garros, but it somewhat makes sense that Djokovic won that fourth set. Um, yeah. But yeah, just like a, just a, a huge shock and an amazing, an amazing effort from Djokovic, like an amazing win for him and like a career moment. Absolutely. Oh, completely. And this match, we talk about how good the third set was. We'll get to more of that. Let's hear from, 
both of these dudes briefly here in their post-match press conferences, which happened pretty fast after the match ended. Uh, we'll hear first from Rafael Nadal and then from Novak Djokovic, your winner. That's that's a sport, you know. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I tried to give my best. Um, probably was not my my best day out there. Uh, uh, even if I fight it, that I put it a lot of effort. I mean, the precision on the shots have haven't been uh, that effective uh, tonight. And against a player like like him, that takes the ball early, so you are not able to to take him out of his positions. Uh, then it's it's very difficult. No, even like this, I had a big chance uh, with a set point, six five second serve. You know. Um, that's it. No, no, anything could happen in that moment. Then I miss it. I make a double fall and then uh, easy volley in the tiebreak. But it's true that uh, I've been crazy points out there and uh, the fatigue is <laughs> is there too. You know? So uh, this kind of mistake of mistakes can happen. But if you want to win, <laughs> you you don't need to. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't. Uh, you can make these mistakes. No. So that's it. Well done for him. I've been a, a good fight out there. I. I tried my best, and uh, today was not my Definitely day. the best match that I was part of uh, ever in Roland Garros for me, and top three matches that I ever played in my entire career. Considering quality of tennis, playing my biggest rival, you know, on the court where he has had so much success and has been the dominant force in the last, you know, 15 plus years. And the atmosphere, which was completely electric. Uh, for both players, a lot of support. Uh, just amazing. Just, uh, I, I was very happy that uh, there was no curfew, 11 o'clock. I heard a special waiver. So they allowed uh, the crowd to stay. I mean, uh, just one of these, these nights and matches that you'll remember Forever. So this match, let's talk about like how excited people got about it. I think this is really is part of the narrative of this match is people starting to talk about this match very superlatively. On air, Mary Carrillo was saying at first she was saying this might be her favorite Djokovic Nadal match ever, which I'm in, obviously recency bias is a real thing, but I'm inclined to agree with. I'm not. It's not my favorite rivalry, honestly. But this match again, because I think I had low expectations for it relatively too. I, I, on the last episode of Pam Shriver, I think I used the word potentially boring, which she sort of chided me for, for having another Nadal Djokovic match. And it really wasn't boring. Like it was, it was better than I nope. expected it to be. It was because just, again, I felt, I felt maybe overly burned by the 2020 French open, which was a big letdown of a match for me. Just how, what a competitive dud that was when I had really, really thought it could be, could be something. And it was really nothing. So yeah, it was, it was pretty cool and pretty special and felt very tense. And, you know, for both of them to still be doing this at this stage of their career in their 58th, match like and just the shot making the level of variety in the plays i think one of the most overrated matches of all time which i was at is the 2012 australian open final between them which lasted like nearly six hours i think that match was very monotonous and just a lot of like really long slow baseline grinding right. on a hard court that was like pure physical attrition and this one had a lot of actual tennis in it i think this one actually had a lot of a lot of really fun cat and mousey points there were some crazy lobs some crazy like net play couple points that were just like really fun and and, and creative and and mold breaking and yeah i was i was fully fully entertained and on board with it and again the excitement of having the stakes mattered and the excitement of having djokovic pulling off a real surprise 
against Nadal at this place where Nadal's been untouchable, I think also elevates this in, in the in the in the pantheon. Oh, for sure. Like good is better than long, right? So oh, completely. Like, oh, we'll get to that in a second. So much yes. better than long. And like, yeah, no, I agree. This was this was an like, if not their best, one of their best. Like it was really, really entertaining to watch. Like, yes, it kind of like tapered out at the end, but that mm-hmm. third set alone was incredible. Some of the shots that happened, Nadal at one point hit this kind of leaping, loopy smash cross court that was just beautiful. <laughs> and yeah. in stark contrast um, to Novak smashes. And yeah, Novak I mean, made a few. He landed a few smashes today. He did he land a few today. And like, also it was nice to kind of see him figure things out, stop hitting like bad drop shots, which he was doing a lot at the beginning. Um, like, I think it was a very smart match from him as well. Yeah. And I really did feel like towards the end, he just totally had Nadal tied up in his backhand corner. So that was really strong as well. But no, I mean, it was a super entertaining match. The crowd was really engaged for good reason. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was it was one of their best ones. I actually don't think it was the best match of this tournament, but I think it was one of Nadal and Djokovic's best matches. Okay. Ooh, okay. I'm curious. What was the best match of the tournament if it's not this one? The best match of this tournament, in my opinion, happened in round three. Um in the women's draw. Bedosa. Bedosa and Bogdan was big. Yeah, that was good. I don't know if it's better, but it was really good. And I'm so annoyed. I, I, I was saying how amazing it was. And all these people, men, who clearly didn't actually watch it were like ripping on me for saying how amazing it was. And it was oh, like, it was everyone, good. And they who, were... everyone who watched this match agrees it was amazing. And the what difference in that match was that they were both good right through to the end. Yeah. And like, it was genuinely at the end like you just didn't know who was going to win towards the end of this one. It started to feel inevitable, but um, no, I thought Bedosa and Bogdan was really good. That is not to take away, of course, from the two <laughs> like greats of this sport who just played an incredible, incredible match, by the way. And, and yeah, incredible yeah, but match, I, but you're no Bedosa Bogdan. Good by your no standards, Bidosa, but no Bedosa Bogdan. Bogdan. Yeah, sure. No, that, that feels, that feels accurate. You're right. The, the fourth set of this match was, I think an anticlimax. And it all got up a break 2-0 in the in the fourth, and then things really slipped for him pretty quickly from there. I mean, he, yeah, he he was having some ankle issues, cut the tape off his ankle. I'm not sure how much that quite affected him, but it, he just looked tired, and his confidence was shot also too. And just having that third set be so climactic, a great third set is a great place to stop a match. I always say, you know, there's uh, it it was a bit of a letdown, and and it did it did kind of give time for the like the result to sink in, like wow, this is happening. I guess, but yeah, competitively, I mean, Djokovic won the last six games in a row. And we've seen that a lot in these, at this tournament where like, there's sort of a fight in the middle and then like Musetti, obviously the main example of this, where like there's a challenge and then the person pulls away, like Nadal bagel Schwartzman in the fourth, you know, Zverev bageled Oscar Atta in the fifth, you know, lots of these things happen in the tournament. Nadal bageled center. I mean, I'm not saying, I, I, I want to be very clear here. I'm not saying that I think that because the fourth set went Djokovic's way more definitively that means it should have been a three-set match um yeah not I, all of us are saying that that's fine I yeah it definitely it definitely tapered off towards the end but you know sometimes that's just going to happen that's going to happen in any match but yeah it 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 is what it is in terms of that in terms of that fourth set um I actually really I do actually wish this had gone to five I think that it would have been really nice for that late night crowd having been told they could stay if this had gone to five but there let's, we go. Let's get to that. There, the most sort of exciting moment of the match in a lot of ways was the overthrow of the rule of law uh, that happened midway through with the 
when after the third the third set ended around 10 40 p.m which would have left about 20 minutes before the curfew would kicked everybody out at 11 and sent them home because france is a citywide curfew now that's at 11 p.m and we saw this happen in the berrettini match with djokovic a couple nights before mm-hmm. where it went past 11 and they had a really hard time emptying the stadium it took them like roughly half an hour to empty the stadium there are people like lying on the ground in the bleachers refusing to leave there are holdouts vive la resistance as always in paris you know and and it was gonna be way worse in this match like if you if you if you won't leave a berrettini djokovic you're never gonna leave nadal djokovic and so i think the french government did the right thing to prevent riots i think i y'all know how pro safety precautions i am about sports in the pandemic like i kind of don't think any of it should be well now now vaccines are rolling out at a decent trot, I feel differently. But um, for a long time, it was not about any sort of rule blurring. But I just don't believe that time is the issue here. I don't think, as I said on Twitter, I don't think at midnight they were all going to turn into Corona pumpkins. Like the right. idea that like I, they're being unsafe by being out later, I think it's dubious. I don't understand the logic of this curfew. Like I don't understand. I think the look, logic. I'm sure there are smarter. The lo- there are much smarter people than me. That I can tell you the logic as it is. It's okay. the logic is if people are out late, they'll be like drinking and being sloppy and not abiding with like rules. But like, not really. Like, come on. Like, and also, it's not safe to have everyone go through this like funnel of the stadium all packed together all at once. And no, right. it made no sense. Just make an exception for people who've been to the front. I mean, that's what they did tonight, right? They made an exception for people who are at Roland Garros. Why not just do that? I mean, it's. It, I mean, coronavirus is not a werewolf. It's not going to like emerge at night and get you there. So I just, I, I don't know. I, I find it very strange, but I was really, really happy that they were flexible enough to let people stay this time. I think it was a little bit of... Um, growth. Growth, maybe a bit of a sense of like, maybe trying to keep their um, Rafa alive. <laughs> Um, with crowd support, perhaps. I don't. Um, I don't think so. I don't. That's I me don't. getting a bit contra- controversy based. Yeah, I'm not biting on that bait. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that the crowd really. I mean, there was tons of Novak support in that crowd as well. There were lots of loud Serbs in there, right. and just it was it was pretty equitable crowd support overall. I don't think it was really done for Rafa's benefit. Not buying that. But let's talk about Rafa though, because Rafa loses at the French Open for one of the first times where I think it's. First time in a long time since Soderling, where it's a real surprise, right? Because in 2015, he'd been trending down. He went to that tournament not playing very well. Djokovic had had the advantage, and Djokovic was almost a favorite in that match. In that quarterfinal, they played the Djokovic one, and that was not a good year for Nadal results-wise in 2015, period. This year, Nadal had been trending up. He won Barcelona. He won Rome. He had, you know, made it into the semifinals, and this loss has to be tough for him in this sort of big, and I don't love the GOAT debate, but, you know, in the race for 21, let's put it that way, these French Opens, people think, are in the bag. So missing a French Open in your count, and especially if it goes to Djokovic, ultimately, in the final, like, I think it really hurts Nadal's odds of finishing on top of that standings overall. This is a this is a big swing if Djokovic comes through with this title to take a French Open from Nadal when Nadal's not getting any younger, as I said on Twitter also, we've never seen anyone in the history of tennis win a Grand Slam where there's already a statue of, like, you know, I think that's got to be tough to overcome. Yeah, what do you, what do you, what do you make of how, this, of how final this could be for Nadal? And, you know, could this, could we have seen, and I'm getting overly dramatic, but I think it's plausible, could we have already seen Nadal's last Grand Slam title? Is it possible he doesn't get any more? Uh, I don't know. Like, I... He probably will win the French Open next year, right? Like it's it's really uh-huh. hard to tell. Like at some point, at some point, we will have seen their last major victory and we won't know, 
right? right okay. At some point, I, we're just we're just not going to know. So I yeah, always say sure. this. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but like look at history. Like Venus Williams at 2008 Wimbledon. Was there any indication that was going to be her last Grand Slam? No, because right. she had just you know she won the previous year. She was like kind of on top of things. She beat Serena. Everything was trending up. Federer, well, Federer is different because Federer is already like in a little bit of a, a denouement part of his career in 2017. But like you never know when it's the end. Like looking like Serena, let's say 2017 Australian Open, if that proves to be her last, which it very well may, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Did we think that was the end for her? No, because she'd won that term without dropping a set. She was incredible. Like you would never know. You don't know the end like that unless it's like Panetta. It's almost impossible, yeah. Unless it's unless it's somebody literally retiring as they lift the trophy, it's it's impossible to predict. I mean, look, um, tomorrow Pavlyuchenkova <laughs> might win her first major event. Might like it's 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 really hard to know exactly yeah. when somebody's career at a major is like coming to an end. I I'm not inclined to think that Nadal's won his last slam because he's Nadal. Yeah, and we also we don't know because this happens quite suddenly, like, because, you know, because we never know when somebody's last one is going to be, we don't know when Novak's will, and we don't know when Novak's last last major will be. He doesn't look like he's tiring. <laughs> like, he is very much on top of everyone, so I think there's a very good chance he's going to catch, I mean, Federer, but, like, who knows if Nadal can keep adding onto onto the onto the count i'm 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 truly yeah. i i have no idea but um i don't know i i don't think nadal's won his last french open i say that um, i say that i say all this not to necessarily be dumping on nadal but it also doesn't take no. nothing for granted i think really is the point like nadal had seemed so automatic for so long at the french open but he had to go out there and win all those matches against professional tennis players all these years and to be 105 and two coming into this match is crazy to have that few off days where the other guy's better than you when it's theoretically 50 50 or something like that in tennis you know everybody's a pro and you can have bounces and stuff and grant and to win so easily so often to rarely lose sets even i mean what he did was remarkable i was i said it during rome you know when he was kind of coming out of a bit of his slumber for a not great start to the clay season for him because he lost in, in monte carlo he lost in in Madrid as well, you know, his ability to switch it on and to peak at the right time every clay season, you know, it's easy to take for granted, but it, it's it's hard. And that he then then that he finally lost in the semifinals or finals of the of a French Open where he was previously twenty six and zero in these last two rounds, you know, like it's just it, it should make you appreciate more that it wasn't a given the whole time, you know, that he still did have to go out there and and as, and as wrote. And as as sort of repetitive as it felt to watch a lot of times, like it it was every time a, a distinct effort that had to start from zero zero every every match. I also think there's another factor here, which is that I think it's slowly but surely not only on the rackets of Djokovic and Nadal. So I think like slowly but surely you are starting to see like. Medvedev getting more confident, Sitsipas getting more confident. I think I, I don't think that they're there yet, just to qualify you, this. We can have like, that conversation when Sitsipas wins on Sunday. But like I right. don't I think this is a big three on big three match. I don't think it's really that. Yeah. I I do. I think that they I don't think that it's like I mean, to be clear, I'm not like, oh, Medvedev is gonna emerge as the goat. But what I'm saying is that I think that as the confidence builds, I mean Medvedev could genuinely, I mean <laughs> It was unlikely on clay, but he could genuinely have finished this tournament world number one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, 
it's getting there. Like this isn't the right service for somebody like Medvedev. Sitsipas has finally had the breakthrough of reaching the Roland Garros final. Like I think it's starting to kind of creep up. I don't think it's here, but I think it's growing. And I think that's going to be a factor as well. It's it's how quickly that success can can translate into confidence. Because I think the other semi-final today, a thing that was on display was a lack of confidence. That won't be the case forever, I don't think. So yeah, I just to put a cap on, I don't agree with that. I mean, I think that if if this had been a case where it was like Nadal, even losing to Djokovic, but like had been taken five in the previous round by Sissipas or something, or had more attrition from the young guys, or had played the Musetti match even, you know, and then lost, like then I would buy and like, okay, yes, the field is catching up to him, but like I don't think they meaningfully are. I think this was about Djokovic being one of his main rivals and also being on the Mount Rushmore and being better than him on this day. I mean, like he has been in the past and this is his 30th win over Nadal. So it doesn't feel like I don't see like trend alert from from this match per se. I just see it as being two guys. And to be clear, I'm not saying I think that Sitsipas would have beaten Nadal today. No, but I just don't think I don't think I don't don't think this I don't think this result has anything to do with the field is what I'm saying. What I'm talking about, though, is are we going to see these people win a major again? Like, are we going to okay. see Nadal yeah, win a major forward, again? Sure. The question. Okay. So, if 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 that's the question that we're talking about, then like it's going to have something to do with the confidence of these, like especially those two. I think, like, increasingly confident and very very good players, because I think they actually have what it takes in a way that the generation before them just never did. <laughs> I think that, like, ultimately, like they just never did. I think that these two do. There are others. These two being Sitsipas and Medvedev, you're talking about, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll see. And like I said, I like I said the first time I disagreed with this, so like say it on Sunday after we see this this final, but which is going to mm-hmm. be a big pre versus next gen final in Djokovic versus Sitsipas. You, Andrew, watched the first semifinal, um, which I did I not, did. which was Sitsipas beating Zverev in five sets. What do you think about what? Tell me about what happened in that match, and also, is it going to be? Do you think Sitsipas has a real shot in this final? Keeping in mind that the previous time that Djokovic beat Nadal in the French Open in 2015, he did not win the title. He lost to Vavrinka in the final. So what do you make of... Uh, first, let's talk about the, uh, the first semi, what happened. Sure, I'll start with the match. So the uh, the match was very interesting. So um, Zverev and Sitsipas both looked nervous <laughs> in the semi-final. Zverev more nervous at first than Sitsipas, and I think that actually the first couple of sets, which which Sitsipas won 6-3, 6-3, had a lot to do with Zverev just not being able to play. Um, he just was completely frozen. Um, it was very much a reminder of the US Open final, honestly, where it just felt like he didn't want to win. Um, and then the same kind of thing happened to Sitsipas in the fourth and in the third and fourth sets. Um, Sverev started playing a bit more aggressively once it felt like he had less chance of winning. <laughs> um, uh, perhaps that gave him a little bit more freedom. Um, and and then Stefanos kind of froze a little bit. But then in the fifth set, it was kind of same story. I mean, exactly the same story. He lost 6-3 again. Sverev just completely fell to pieces. And, and really, I was happy for Stefanos that he... It wasn't like a disaster final set. <laughs> Stefanos was able to kind of at least be more solid in that fifth set um, in a way that Zverev just like was completely, he just did not have the nerve to win the set. And as far as we've been able to see at majors, I mean, he's never beaten a top 10 player at a major. Like he doesn't seem to have 
what it takes yet to do that. And I mean, it's an increasingly might... amazing stat that Zverev has never beaten a top 10 player at a slam. Right. And he just seems to get really nervous in those big major matches and he just can't perform. So yeah, I mean, that's basically how Stefanos got through. He was just the more mentally solid in the last set, um, but it definitely kind of ebbed and flowed. I guess what I think might be the saving grace for Pass in the final is that he will be a massive underdog. And maybe mm-hmm. the finish line won't be as clearly in his sight as it was today, because I feel like he was definitely the favorite today. So it will it'll be interesting to see if he comes into that final just playing a bit more freely. And it'll be interesting to see if Djokovic is tired, if Djokovic is still carrying some of the rust that he was carrying against the Italians. Yeah, I think that Tsitsipas has a chance. I definitely think Tsitsipas has a chance, but he he has to play freer than he did today, for sure. One concern I have actually about Tsitsipas, he does not have a very good record in finals. He's seven and nine in finals in his career at all levels, including losses in most of the big finals he's played. I mean, one and two in Masters finals, and then 0 and seven at 500s. He won the World Tour finals, but he has not, and has been against a lot of big players, but he has not been a great closer of tournaments in his young career relatively five and oh at 250s in the finals so that's nice but this is not a 250 unfortunately <laughs> i think that it'll come down just as much to Djokovic in this match and just mentally how ready he is there i think he's very very business-like and we'll see, we'll know what an opportunity this is we'll know what a favorite he is and it's, it's generally been pretty good at taking care of business when he sort of smells blood in the water or a slam in the water he's a good closer at slams he's a very good closer at slams and so yeah, I think that I think it's kind of on his racket. And and Sitspas is a good player and has beaten Djokovic multiple times before. And so I, I hope it'll be a good final. Uh but I I think I think Sitspas is has a lot to sort of show. And again, this is an opportunity potentially, if it goes Sitspas's way, for this big torch pass moment I've been saying forever that men's tennis mm-hmm. needs. They need a next gener to beat a big three guy in a final. They need that to happen. And this is an opportunity for Sitspas to do that. And a big old star obviously would have been a bigger deal, even if it had been Nadal at the French Open final. But Djokovic, obviously, is still number one. Djokovic has a lot of history and and, and going for his second Jokimon to get Jokimon Gen 2. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So. I I'm I mean, win or lose, I'm fascinated to see if Tsitsipas shows up for this final acting more like Medvedev in the US Open final or acting more like Team Zverev in the US Open final. <laughs> like, I'm just interested to see if if he shows up playing, if he shows up playing confident tennis. I think Zverev has to be at this point in some of these big matches, good at bringing people down to his level. Like I think Zverev, and that's kind of what happened in this match you were saying. I think that's what happened in the U.S. I mean, granted Zverev started out the U.S. Open final winning and then got tight and, and team got it together. But yeah, yeah, I think, I, I think that, Tsitsipas will know it's a big big guy, big match, and he'll be ready for it. He's been very businesslike in this tournament. I think that he'll hopefully hopefully have a good effort. One last sort of lingering thought on this first semifinal. There was a remarkable video clip that was shared on Twitter from Eurosport of uh, the studio interviewing their on-site reporter, and using finger quotes here, Misha Zverev, who, for reasons that are unclear to me, admitted on air to coaching his brother, Sasha, while he was commentating this match courtside. Um, and like, not just like, come on, you got this kind of coaching, but like actual tactical things he said he was telling his brother about how to change up the match and how to hit different shots and play the match differently. I found this absolutely wild 
and crazy. You know, I, I've Misha Zara, who I've, I've interviewed a few times, super, super nice guy, really, really lovely. Uh, he was the sort of star of the Racket magazine profile of the Zvera family before a couple, did a couple other Sasha Zvera stories early in his career that Misha was always super accommodating for. This is insane. <laughs> this moment to be a credentialed reporter uh, on on air, on, you know, media and actively coaching a player in the match. It's it's the ultimate parfait of layers of tennis conflicts of interest. First of all, that you're even in the position to be the commentator of your brother's match. And then that you're coaching nope. during it. I don't know. I think the French Open, FFTs, the Grand Slams have to do something about this. That that cannot stand. That that cannot go on unsanctioned. That is craziness. Even for even for tennis, that was like, whoa, come on. It's not just that he did it. It's not just that the Eurosport host asked him, I saw you speaking to Alex. What did you tell him? Which it seems like you wouldn't ask your colleague that if you were aware that they had been doing something bad. But there we go. It's that he then admitted it. And also, by the way, halfway through that clip, I feel like he hilariously realizes <laughs> what he's saying. And he kind he starts to kind of say, not in a coaching kind of way. And it's like, what of what you just said was not coaching? Because it was specifically you outlining... <laughs> What I'm gonna put the audio. I'll, I'll put the audio in here of this clip, so you guys can hear it for yourselves. Mystery is that your brother is a very tough out, even at two sets to love. We are now getting used to him getting comfortable, and you guys had a little bit of a look at each other after the second set. Is that that's what we heard at least? Sasha looked over and apparently looked at you. What did you do or tell him? Um, well, there's not much you can say, but I, I told him to adjust his uh, position, like quite especially returning, and also like watch the rhythm of the, of the game. Like, don't don't go too flat. Don't like keep hitting the ball in the same direction, same speed. But I mean, I didn't say that much, but it was just a few things that I could kind of shout out without, you know, being like in a coaching situation. I'm sure he sees it in your eyes. What you mean? Yeah, that is coaching. I mean, again, like it's- I think it's I think it's a fair question to to ask for like. While coaching, and there are some people who say you should legalize all coaching during matches, whatever. Like, I don't, I'm not one of them. I still like the mano mano, one on one nature of tennis and don't think coaches should play a role mid match. I'm, I'm used to that. I'm a sort of old school person in that sense in the sport. But I think there's real questions if, like, saying, come on, you got this, or even like, you know, keep your head up or whatever is like, you know, coaching. Maybe it is giving encouragement on some level of version to coaching and maybe just like, you know, move your feet, you got this, whatever. Is that coaching? Whatever, wherever you want to draw the line on what is too tactical or too coachy to be coaching, okay. But there's zero doubt that what Misha was saying was absolutely very like specific tactical coaching, and and yeah, and it's just, it's uh, that's that's got there's got to be something something has to be done about that. That's one of those things. And again, the slams have been tougher by a lot, as we know, than the ATP undisciplined stuff. ATP, I would have no faith that anything will happen, but the slams have have you know cracked down. For better and worse, they kicked Fanini out of the, of the U.S. Open a few years ago. They obviously laid down the hammer with Osaka the way they did. Like, sure there's, did. I mean, come on. Like, there's no way yeah. that should be able to stand. I mean, you should not be allowed to be a credentialed member of the media if you're illegally coaching somebody at the sidelines. <laughs> that, I mean, that's it's black and white. That I mean, there is no argument here. Like, you should not be allowed to be a credentialed member of the media. If you are coaching people illegally, it's allowed like, courtside. You have special like courtside access, yeah, because you think he was it's like holding a mic, nuts. being a courtside reporter. Is my understanding. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was wild. That was one. I mean, obviously on a big day that was dominated by this big match, just getting goat talk. Like I was like, we got to talk about Misha. We got to address the Misha's Vera thing because that is, even for tennis, it's new and it's ridiculous. And the sport is so Bush league. It, at the same time, it's trying to be like, you know, wow, it's sport of Kings and immortals and everything. It's also like the same day on the same court. You got this shenaniganery. All right. So thank you very much. Andrew, for being on here. Let's talk briefly before I let you go about the women's final, just tomorrow. Uh, Pavel Yuchenkova versus Krejcikova in a very unlikely but women's final, which should be good. I hope I mean, it should be, it could be good. I don't know what to expect. Never seen either of these women in a grand semifinal, but they've both been playing really well. I thought the level was really good in this tournament throughout, even if the results were a little wackadoodle. Number 32 in the rankings versus number 33, evenly matched on that front. What do you, what are you sort of hoping for in this, uh, are looking for in this yeah. final between Krejcikova and Pavlyuchenkova. Yeah, I'm really excited. You have like two different things going on here, right? So you have Pavlyuchenkova, like one of the most kind of promising young players of her generation who just like never got beyond a quarterfinal in a major yeah. in any discipline. Um, finally making her first final. And then you have on the other side of the net Krejcikova who has won five majors. She has won in doubles, yeah. um, three mixed doubles and two doubles majors. So she's actually going onto the court with the more like major match experience of the two. Mm. But most people would probably see Pavlyuchenkova as the favorite going in here just because they know her as like a singles player and like how good she is. So I think it's going to be really, really fascinating to see how that comes into play. Like, is Pavlyuchenkova going to be? less nervous because of her singles experience more nervous because of her lack of major final experience like are those doubles finals even going to play a part for Krejcikova I have no idea (laughs) but it's going to be fascinating to see which one comes true I think that both I think both of these stories are really great whatever happens like it's going to be it would be really lovely to see Pavlyuchenkova kind of finally reach that potential it would be really cool to see Krejcikova have a major in every discipline yeah so yeah it's gonna it's gonna be like it's gonna be a really fun final i think and i will say like the women's quarterfinals and semifinals really competitive long matches very tense it's been like i think even though the draw for the women kind of fell apart oh yes it's completely fell apart it's actually ended up being really fun it's been really fun really competitive so yeah i'm 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 really excited for this final i think the ride has been really good i have no idea what the destination will be you know in terms of this final no idea where we're going no idea turn the gps off long ago jesus take the wheel situation I wonder if there's a share cover with jesus take the wheel i can use the outro probably not but (laughs) if there was they would know that i would pick it here you know, it's it's been uh, it's been weird, and I, I hope they deliver. And I hope that if and when this match is an all-time epic that goes to 11 p.m., I hope that Macron calls off the goons once more and lets them play on. Pavs deserves. Pavs deserve after the after the the many many years of service she's put in. She deserves the the nation of France giving her their time. <laughs> she speaks the language absolutely. No, that's I, I'm really happy for Pavlyuchenkova, regardless of what happens in this final. Like. This is a, she was always for a long time, best player, never, you know, probably arguably never top 10 best player and best player not to make a slam semi and now being in a final, it just feels like a worthy sort of payoff. And there, you, you get that so rarely in tennis, you know, of like, you get it sometimes, obviously not never, but like it, it'd be, it'd be really nice as a sort of capstone for her just being like 
such a solid member of the ensemble for so long to to have this moment. I think it's really nice. I mean, Krejcikova, obviously, her story is amazing and can't knock her either. So two really feel-good winners. And I honestly feel the same way about the men's. Like, whoever wins the men's tournament will have absolutely earned it as well. Like, I'm not I'm not at all, like, thinking there's a better story one way or the other in this tournament on either on any of the four finalists we have in singles. I think they're all really, really strong. For a tournament that I will argue started with the worst vibes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> just, yes. Just the worst. I mean, the last time I was on this pod was was back when we were talking about Osaka, and it was it was sad. Like everything yeah. that was happening was so sad. This tournament has felt so long. It has not been so that long. happy slam. It has not at all been the happy slam. And I actually think that it feels like it's going to end on pretty good vibes either way. Like, it feels... Knock on wood here. Oh yeah, I'm sorry if that if that goes wrong. But um, yeah, I I I feel good about the weekend that's ahead of us. Well, I feel good about the show that's behind us. Andrew, thank you very much for coming on NCR once more. Tell people about the spin and where they can find it. And if you've written anything interesting since we were last on. Uh, the spin is available on Substack. You can subscribe. There is a link in my bio on Twitter, and, which and a link in this ben, will show put, notes too. ben will put in the description of the show notes. So it will all be available there. Good. Yes. Enjoy it. It's a fun little treat in the inbox when it arrives, as is this episode, hopefully for people. Thank you very much. And if you want to treat our inbox by giving us the notification that you've subscribed to us on Patreon, we'd love that as well. Uh, thank you to those of you supporting us on Patreon. We thank you very much for keeping the show going. This is, again, show number 14. There's a real chance we will do two episodes tomorrow, TBD. So we're really, you know, trying to crank them out here for you. It's been the main, you know, my main work thing during the French Open as it's happened this year. So it's been lovely. Thank you to all of our Slam Champ backers who thank every episode who keep us afloat, Susanna W., Sean Mulroy, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Jean Simeon, James Hindle, Audrey Wellens, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel, and our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. And I don't know if people ever noticed, but Andrew, I thank you first show every month for being you know, an on-tour backer, and I want to reiterate my thanks to you in person on Zoom here as well. Thank you for your support of NCR as well. Of course. Hopefully you've enjoyed the Patreon experience and everything and all the Oh my the gosh, it seems unlocks. I wish I could I wish I could subscribe and it's just five more times, you know? Like I, I feel like <laughs> I would recommend it to to friends, listeners, everyone in my community, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> everyone in the community. Just go go around Brooklyn just telling people to subscribe to the NCR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well on that note, here is a, a real patron of the community to sing us out. Sherilyn Sarkeesian, full name, but you know her as Cher. Here she is. Bye, folks. You made such a face at Sherilyn Sarkeesian. Is that her name? Yeah, she's Armenian. Oh, 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 oh.